Welcome to Talking Beats with Daniel Lelchuk. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Now, if you like the show, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash talkingbeats. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash talkingbeats. We believe now more than ever in providing a platform for individuality, free thought, and a diverse range of views. By supporting the show this way, you'll get early access to episodes, bonus episodes, and much, much more. Remember, the conversation is always active at Talking Beats Podcast on social media. Here's Daniel Lelchuk. On today's program, we're speaking with legendary British actress and singer Petula Clark. Her career started as a childhood entertainer on BBC Radio during World War II. Over her illustrious life, she sold more than 68 million records and is known for her rendition of A Sign of the Times, I Couldn't Live Without Your Love, Who Am I, and her signature, Downtown. She's had major hits not just in her native English, but also in German, Italian, Spanish, and most famously, French. But no matter what language she's singing in, the beauty of her voice reigns supreme, the range. The emotion, it's all there behind every word and every note. I'm thrilled to have her right here with me. Petula Clark, welcome to you. Well, thank you. It's nice nice to speak to you. So you've said before you don't like to look back. You don't like the idea of nostalgia. How do you listen to music without nostalgia? How do you listen to music without looking back? I don't listen to my own music very often unless I absolutely have to. You know, sometimes I do because I I need to check a lyric or something like that. And recently, you know, they they put out um, a Royal Albert Hall um, CD, which was recorded back in 70-something or other. And um, I wanted to hear what it sounded like because they had uh, sort of... They, they, they'd worked on it technically, and do you know, it wasn't bad at all. <laughs> um, I, no, I, I, I don't sit around listening to my old music. Um, sometimes I listen to other people's old music, if you like, but uh, I'm, I'm very much into jazz and to classic, and uh, yes, some of, some of the great... Of, of bygone days, but um, I, I don't sit around saying, oh, yes, they, they were the old, good old days, because they weren't all good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I know you've appeared a few times on uh, the Desert Island Disc series, and a lot of wonderful musicians on there and interviews, and most musicians don't want to hear uh, their own music. Um, Louis Armstrong was an exception. Every record he took uh, was of himself, and I uh, found it very interesting, but it didn't seem at all uh, self-aggrandizing. He wanted to remind himself of, of his friends, and, and it was very moving when he spoke about that. Well, he was an exceptional uh, uh, example, I think. You know, he was, uh, he was very special. Um, and they had a, a recently a whole thing on Ella Fitzgerald here on television, and uh, that was amazing. I loved her so much. I met her when I was making Finnegan's Rainbow. We literally bumped into each other and became kind of friends, except that we were always thousands of miles apart. But she was, uh, I could listen to Ella Fitzgerald all day. 
you've talked before about sort of the the many roles you've had, uh, singer, actress, general entertainer. I I would say that I could also add sort of a, a healer of spirits. I'm thinking about obviously the days during the Second World War. I mean, a child entertainer. First of all, it's not an easy position to be in. Well, you know, uh, I, I was singing for the troops. I was only a kid, of course, uh, during the uh, Second World War. And uh, I, I just enjoyed singing, really, right from the start. And that, that's, that's pretty well the same thing now. You know, I sing because I like to sing. I, I, I don't sing to make a living, although I guess I do. <laughs> I mustn't tell my agent that. Um, uh, <laughs> No, I, I sing for the sheer joy of it. And there's a wonderful spiritual thing that happens on good nights on stage when you really feel almost as if you're in church. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a kind of communion. Talk about that sort of bridge between being a child entertainer. I mean, in music, you know, we have a lot of prodigies. We have violin prodigies who disappear when they reach 11 years old, you know, when the novelty's worn off. Okay, we'll go to the next kid who can play the Brahms violin concerto perfectly. But but you made the bridge, and uh, when a prodigy makes the bridge, I don't know if you were a prodigy, you're certainly very gifted. When they make the bridge to uh, a truly talented uh, adult artist, uh, it's a delicate thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do, I'll be honest with you. Um, uh, I was under contract to a film company uh, in England called the Rank Organization. Maybe some of your listeners <laughs> remember it. And uh, the, I was much more valuable to them as a child than as an adolescent, because in those days, adolescence was not was something that was rather sort of, well, we hide her away until she's grown up kind of thing. Um, so they, they bound my bosom in, and uh, I had to wear little girl clothes and all that kind of thing. And it was, it was a very difficult time. That bridge that you're talking about was a very difficult one to, uh, to get over. Um, but, you know, you know, life is a journey, and uh, we, you know, there are bumps and twists, and and my life has been a very uh, uh, varied uh, journey so far, and uh, some of some of it's been good, and some of it not so good, like everybody's life. What do you think of the idea that music is there? as something we can fall back and right now we're speaking in a in a pandemic obviously there's no big shows there's there's no music happening on a big scale people are sort of you know sitting with the the little tinny iphone speakers or the laptop speakers maybe if they're lucky they have a good stereo at home as i do uh, but many people don't what what is what does music do why do we need music do you think sort of just to be to exist I totally agree. I can't imagine my life without music. I mean, it's more important to some than to others, but uh, certainly to me, it's... Uh, I, but, you know, I'm a bit peculiar, you know, if you excuse the pun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have music going through my mind pretty well all the time. I, I don't have to switch something on to, to hear music. Um, but we have a wonderful station here. I live in Switzerland, incidentally, uh, and um, we have a, a television station called Metzl, which is 
jazz or classical music and it's on very late at night and as I'm a rather late at night person um, I watch that and you know in these really rather sad uh, uncertain days that we're living in that is so good and uh, I, I do it before I go to sleep and it, it really just calms my spirit down can you think about the first time you heard a voice or heard an instrument, the first time you heard music and thought to yourself either consciously or not consciously, well, I guess I wouldn't necessarily be thinking to yourself, but the first time you heard a sound and you fell in love with it? <laughs> I've never been asked that one before. Um, oh, so it was worth doing this just for that? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I'm half Welsh. Um, my mother was Welsh, and... Uh, my sister and I used to go to Wales when when the, the the war and the air raids were a bit bit too much in London, and the Welsh people are very musical. They're they're a bit like the Italians, you know. They they sing all the time. But I remember listening to the radio uh, because we, we didn't have television and and we didn't have a record player in Wales, and I remember thinking, what's making that sound? What is that? You know, I didn't think that an orchestra with a lot of people playing together. I thought it was just a thing making that sound. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, the first time I actually saw an orchestra and sang with an orchestra, it, it, it was absolutely mind-blowing. It was, it was uh, well, that's what it was, mind-blowing. <laughs> And then the sound got into your ear, and you thought to yourself, "Wow, maybe this can be part of me, or I have some talent." Or I mean, what 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 was the progression like there? Well, you know, I, you know, I have I have a very uh, rich interior life in 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 me. I, I've always had it. You know, I uh, I I used to tell stories. I used to invent stories when we were in the air raid shelters in London and the bombing was going on around us and and uh, there wasn't anything to do, there wasn't any light or to speak of. Um, I, I would tell the, tell the kids stories and, and uh, sing for them. And if you like, it, was, it wasn't that I was showing off or trying to be smart. It was, it was just a natural thing that I did. And it, it, <laughs> it's been inside me ever since. Um, I think I'm just blessed that way. Talk about Welsh for a moment. Uh, a lot of uh, listeners probably don't know much about Wales or Welsh, but it's a it's a fascinating language and uh, a totally crazy looking and 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 bizarre sounding. If if you don't mind me saying, is it a musical language? I've never thought of it like that. Well, uh, I think it's a musical language. Yes, that they do have their own language and they're very proud of it. Um, you know, the, the signposts in Wales, when you go across from England into Wales, are in both languages. I used to speak Welsh. I went to school in Wales for a while and, and came out uh, like a little Welsh girl. And, um, yeah, there is a kind of spirit to the Welsh people that I love. You know, there are some great uh, Welsh performers. You know, Tom Jones is from, from Wales. Um, and you know when he when he sings he sounds American, but when he speaks he he has an accent like that. You know that's that's the Welsh accent. You know he's Welsh, 
um, Anthony Hopkins is Welsh, Shirley Bassey is Welsh, um, many, many others. I'm only half Welsh. Well, you're you're half Welsh along with the wonderful writer who recently died, Jan Morris, who is also half Welsh. Well, my mother sang very beautifully. I mean, she had a natural singing voice. She wasn't a professional singer, but I, I think maybe I got it from her. But, you know, I've, I've never had singing lessons. Or I, you know, I don't really know how to sing. Um, uh, somebody said to me, or several people have said to me, that I should give a master class, you know, um, to young singers. I wouldn't know how to do that. I, you know, I, I don't know how I do what I do. Do you know how you do what you do? Well, I would say that that I, I've I've had wonderful teachers and I've been very lucky to to analyze. But I but I know what you're talking about. There's a famous story about the wonderful violinist Yehudi Menuhin, who was one of the great prodigies of all string playing. I I had the pleasure of knowing him. What's more, really? Yes. Go on. And. And he was such a prodigy, he, he did it all without knowing. And there was a certain point in his life he decided, uh, I'd like to learn about what my body's doing, what my hands are doing. And and the analysis harmed his playing immensely. It was one of the most uh, incredible uh, sort of reverse uh, progressions. Um, when he began to analyze, uh, because he was so naturally gifted from a child, it... it deteriorated immensely when he said what is my first finger doing there I believe that I believe it you know I, I had a wonderful experience with him with there was a big performance going on many years ago of course at the Royal Opera House in London and I had a dressing room which was very close to the stage and there was a knock on my door and I opened it and he said oh peculiar can I come in and warm up? It was Yehudi Menuhin, <laughs> and he he wanted a quiet spot where he could warm up and sort of get himself ready for the performance. So I had Yehudi Menuhin to myself for about a quarter of an hour while he 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 played. I mean, it was he was a lovely man. I bet you wish you had a tape recorder for that one. <laughs> yes. Yes, for, for for many things. <laughs> <laughs> because right now we're we're all used to having our smartphones with us, where we have a recording feature. We just press a button. But I guess in those days it wasn't a, it wasn't as convenient, uh, accessible. No, but I, I you know I, I I wouldn't have dared do that. You know, it, it wasn't that kind of moment. It was something that uh, it was really just for us, him and me. Talk about your love of classical music. You've mentioned before, I, I, I mentioned the uh, wonderful Desert Island Disc series, and you said uh, you singled out a wonderful tone poem by the great composer Richard Strauss, Ein Heldenleben, A Hero's Life, one of the great works for orchestra. Uh, you said it meant a lot to you. W- why does that piece, why does Richard Strauss' tone poem mean so much to you, Ein Heldenleben? I don't know. Um... You know, music to me is a kind of uh, adventure. You know, when I listen to a great jazz performance like John Coltrane or something like that, I, I go away. I, I go I go on this trip. He takes me on this trip. And it's the same with Richard Strauss or, or, or Bartok or, or, or whatever. And certain pop singers can do it too um, <laughs> in a different way. You know, it's... Uh, I, I'm 
I'm not a snob about music at all. Um, I, I like most of it, actually, and uh, it all has... It all goes into my personal computer and in my mind or in my heart, and it's... It, I guess it stays there and it it, uh, it develops and you know that's you know I mean uh, singing is singing is not just about getting the notes out it's about touching the song with whatever's going on inside you and so that's why every singer is is different because it's the notes are coming from from a different place uh I don't know if I'm explaining this very well. No, you're explaining it very well. It it, it reminds me of a uh, sort of this this whole idea of well, how do how do I put my stamp on a Beethoven? A, a student said to me. <laughs> yes, well, exactly. What? And and I said I said you know you you don't need to think in those terms because just the fact that it's you playing it right now in this moment uh, is is you playing it. There's no there's there's no confusion. No one's going to think that. Your Rostropovich or someone else playing it. it it's you right here uh, with your hands and your heart and your brain playing it in this moment. And, and there's sort of the stamp uh, comes from, from everything inside of you as it's translated through your hands. That's exactly right. Very, very well put. What do you think music is doing right now? If you could re- rewind to February when, when things were sort of uh, <laughs> a little more normal than they are now. February 2020. Well, where was music? Was music in a good place? Was pop music in a good place? Oh, you know, that's it. it's such a huge subject because it's hard to sort of put a stamp on you know, where it is. Um, uh, I have to tell you that you know, I, I'm speaking to you from Switzerland, but uh, in March this year, when uh, when this awful thing started, this virus, I was in London. Would you believe I was in Mary Poppins on the West End stage? <laughs> and, no, I was not not playing Mary Poppins. I was playing the bird lady who sings "Feed the Birds, Feed the Birds, the Birds a Bag." That one, and. Uh, it was uh, it was wonderful being back in London, uh, surrounded by all these amazing shows, all the theatres and 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 jazz clubs and concerts and, uh, and it was great being back in that environment. And of course, it all shut down literally overnight, and I haven't been back since. And. Uh, I sort of miss it, I have to say. Of course, I missed going on stage every night, but um, it, it's not just the my personal thing of going on stage. It's it's the whole atmosphere around. In London, there is so much music going on. There is so much creativity going on. Um, it's hard to put a stamp on it and say it's going this way or it's going that way. Um, you know, the, right opposite our stage door in London, there's a, a jazz club called Ronnie Scott's, which is very famous, where all the great jazz players have played. But at the moment, there is nobody like Dizzy Gillespie or Oscar Peterson. There are no huge stars like that or, or, or Armstrong. Do you, know, do you know why? Do you have any theories as, any theories as to why? 
no, I don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I don't quite understand it, but but that's the way it is. Yeah. You, what is it about going on stage as a as you sort of go through various uh, stages in? in life, the, the need or the desire or the, the comfort that you have on stage. You know, so many people say, well, I've been, been there, done that. And there's this sort of, ah, I'll, I'll spend the next 20 years sort of playing golf or whatever. I don't know if you play golf. <laughs> well, I think if you feel like that, you should get out. <laughs> um, and no, I mean, I love going on stage Sometimes before I go on stage, I'm feeling a bit, oh, you know, I don't know if I can do this tonight, you know. Uh, I've got a bit of a headache. Uh, what I'd really like to do is have a nice dinner and a glass of wine, you know, all that kind of thing. And then you get on stage and it's like, yes, that's what I'm here for. And uh, it, it's that, that's a hard one to to understand and it sounds a little bit freaky <laughs> well <laughs> maybe it is no, no, but, um... it doesn't sound it doesn't sound freaky to me i i, I remember f- feeling sometimes uh you know having to oh play the beethoven fifth for the 50th time and it's the fourth time this week and everything and i'm i'm i have a headache or whatever i'm not trying to quote you but then suddenly literally the music and the lights it's like medicine and it, it's like I'm, I'm suddenly reborn and i don't mean that as an exaggeration it literally is a is like a, a rebirth playing a beethoven symphony well isn't that marvelous isn't that magic aren't we lucky it is it is magic and and it can have a a physical effect not just not just an emotional effect but you you're physically better off by the end i think it's it's a it's a very sensual feeling um it, yeah it's uh there are moments during my show listen listen i'm i'm not singing beethoven let's face it um you know i'm a pop singer uh but there are certain songs which have uh, an effect on me more, more than others, and I'm not going to say it's downtown because it isn't. <laughs> but, <laughs> but although I still enjoy singing it, um, do you still? But sing there are it? certain songs that that, that have a, an emotional, spiritual effect on me, and uh, it's great. It, it, it's great to have that. I mean, how many people can can say that they have that night after night? Do you still sing downtown to yourself or while you're walking around the house? Or, or... No. <laughs> Actually, I don't sing much around the house. And at the moment, I'm in Geneva, which is where I live. And, uh, you know, things are pretty well shut down here. And my husband is not too well. He had a couple of hip op- operations. And I'm being a housefrau. I'm... Um, cooking and uh, taking care of stuff, <laughs> which is not really what I normally do. <laughs> how, how much of a change is it to, to go from the stage to the, uh, to the kitchen? Well, what can I say? <laughs> you, you don't need to be polite. It's not public radio. You can say anything you want. I tell you what, I think I'm too emotional to be good in the kitchen. I get, uh, you know, it either it works or it doesn't. And of course, when it works, it's joyful you know and when it doesn't it's tears and uh, you know i'm yeah so i'm trying trying to get a handle on it it's an, it, you know I, I i don't have the technique you know i mean yehudi menuhin was as you said was 
did it almost instinctively. It was, you know, it was playing him. Well, I think in the kitchen you have to have some technique before you can start sort of improvising. But I'm improvising all the time, which is a bit scary. It's a bit scary, and if it fails, you know, you'll you'll be going to bed uh, hungry. That's right. <laughs> Batula Clark, uh, people are going to wonder, because this is something, sort of the, the central question uh, that the show is about, even though we talk to people from all different fields, is, is about what music does for uh, communion, what it does for commonality, what it does for bringing people together in ways that only music can do. And so I always ask people, what are you listening to? What, what are you listening to right now? Um, right now, I'm listening to you. Um, <laughs> you, you mean in, in general? In general. Um, well, I, I did mention this, this marvelous uh, station we have here, um, where they, it, it goes from, from jazz to, to classic, and, and that is feeding me more than pop music would be feeding me. Uh, although I do sometimes listen to, to pop music, some of it's good. So, no, I, I I would say that I'm listening mostly to to classical music, whatever that word quite means. I mean, yeah, it's it's it's, it's classic and and it's interesting jazz, you know, uh, jazz that feeds my mind. You've talked before about your love for Lena Horne and Peggy Lee. Can you talk about those two about those those two women and and the voice and and what you were coming up. Um, vocally maturing, what you took from them? Well, you know, I, uh, I think most people at that time were listening to Judy Garland, <coughs> who was, you know, singing with full stops out, all that kind of thing. And uh, I, I went more for that subtle, mm, kind of sexy approach to singing, like with Peggy Lee and Lena Horne. Um, that was more to my toast, uh, taste. Toast. <laughs> that was more to my taste. Um, I, I got to meet both beautiful ladies, um, and uh, you know, it, it's it's always a little scary that moment when you meet somebody you admire, you've admired for years, and are they going to be nice? Are they going, <laughs> are they going to be nasty? And uh, there are very few people like that that I've met who have disappointed me. I know I've worked with some great people, you know, Fred Astaire and, and Peter O'Toole and all, all kinds of great people, and I find that the, the greater they are, the nicer they are, because they don't have to prove anything to, to anyone. That, that's something uh, that, that was often said about the great conductor Toscanini, who was so great that he was exceptionally demanding, but he was uh, uh, at heart a uh, wonderful, warm person. What, what was Fred Astaire like? Talk about Fred Astaire. Well, he was so uh, adorable. I know that sounds a bit corny, but uh, he, he was. And uh, he was very uh, particular, let's put it that way. He was rather picky about people he mixed with. Um, and uh, that's okay, you know. He he had he had pretty good taste, let's put it that way. And we laughed together so much. Um, the movie was directed by Francis Coppola, and we the three of us spent some time together just singing. We all liked to sing. We were in this 
we used to travel in in the same car sometimes, and and I would make Fred sing for me because I loved his voice, and of course he made me sing for him. And Francis sang anyway, you know. <laughs> Francis is Italian, so he sings. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, but but Fred was lovely and um, uh, very uh, very much the perfectionist. And the film that we made was near the end of his career, and he was very concerned about not quite being up to it, you know. And he used to stay in his dressing room over the weekend so that he could uh, rehearse in the studio. Uh, he was so... Uh, well, he was a very, very special person. I know you don't like looking back, but if if you'll just indulge me for, for a moment or two, or are there a couple other people who, who you look back back at you look at what you did with them you look at interactions or their performances and you think that was that wasn't only great then it's become greater as i look back sometimes people get greater and greater with the time has has someone who perhaps you thought was wonderful become even more so as you look back as you remember the sound and the feeling yes well but certainly certainly fred um peter o'toole was lovely too in in a, in a totally different way. Of course, he was Irish, so you know we would go out to dinner, and there was no way you could not get tipsy when you went out <laughs> when you went out with Peter. Um, no, but he was lovely and and generous, and he was actually an enormously great actor. I saw him on stage on the London stage after we had done Goodbye, Mr. Chips, and that was something that you know I'm so glad that I got to see him because. It was very different to him on being on the screen. You know, he was very tall and gangly, and he filled the stage. I mean, uh, what they say about great actors, they eat the decor. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he was a bit like that. Um, but, you know, I've I worked with lots of wonderful people, and, you know, Quincy Jones and uh, uh, all just... You know, when you work with great people, you learn without even realizing you're learning. And uh, that's, that's something very valuable. Learn without realizing you're learning. I guess that's why you leave the young singers uh, to listen to your recordings instead of doing the master classes. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. You know, in any case, you know, singing is very personal. Uh, you have to find your own thing and that's that's the most difficult thing i mean there are lots of people who can sing let's face it there are some you know when you watch some of these uh you know like america's got talent i suppose the uk's got talent all all these talent shows there are some amazing singers but they you know when are they going to be able to find their very own thing that will make them special um it takes, sometimes it takes time. You know, somebody like Amy Winehouse, she had her thing right from the start. Uh, but, it, but mostly it takes time for you to quite get the hang of what you're trying to do when you're singing. It took, it took time for me. And I, actually, I'm still learning. So. <laughs> <laughs> what, did you think of, what did you think of Amy Winehouse? I thought she was amazing. Uh, she was an incredibly uh, unique singer. Uh, you know, this nice little Jewish girl who sang 
you know, like a crazy, amazing black singer. You know, she had, she had, she had a musicality in her that was, uh, you know, unique. And uh, I mean, even when she was in a bad way, or when she was, you know, high on whatever she was high on, she was still able to to sing amazingly. She. Uh, she, I thought she was great. I loved what you said a minute ago. You said that you feel like you're always learning. You're still learning and always learning. Is, is that part of the reason you still go on stage? Because you, you feel that there's still something to get. You still study. You still you still want to be out there and, and see what improvements you can make. I'm not quite sure if I've understood that question. Um, uh, I can only speak anyway... You know, you're speaking to me, so I can only give you my my answers and my feelings. Uh, being on stage, uh, for me anyway, it's being able to really be myself. Sometimes, I mean, quite often in my life, in everyday life, I find it difficult to to relax and be myself. Whereas when I'm on stage, I, that is me. That is, that is exactly me. And I think that's why it's such a, still such a joy for me, because it's a moment of, uh, ah, this, this, this is where I belong. <laughs> how, do you, how do you cope with right now? You're, you're not on stage. You're, you're at home in Switzerland, uh, you know, trying to m- make rice for dinner or whatever. I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I get kitchen fright. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean, there's no stage. Well, it's, it's, it's different. <laughs> it's different. Uh, yes, I, I, I can't pretend. Uh, you know, I, I do miss doing what what I do, and I miss the people. You know, the the camaraderie uh, of, of being in a theatre. Of course, I do. But you know, this is a weird time in our lives, and and we're all missing something, and. Uh, uh, I, I'm trying to do my best dealing with the casseroles. <laughs> you know, this. I, I I hate to to ask this question. Well, uh, actually, I don't hate to ask it, so I'm going to ask it anyway. What What do you want to do that you haven't done yet? Is there a role that you want to play? Is there something you want to sing or or a, a part you want to inhabit that you haven't yet? Do you know? I I've never been ambitious like that. In fact, I've never been ambitious. Um, but there's never been, I've never thought, oh, why didn't they ask me to do that? You know, oh, I could have done that better than her. You know, it's never occurs to me. Um, and now, uh, I, I, I do what comes along. I, you know, when they asked me to play the bird lady in in Mary Poppins, I said, what? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, are you kidding me? I mean, it's, it's one song. And I said, you know, I, I don't know about this. And uh, I actually asked my kids, you know, what do you think? And they said, oh, sure. You know, you'll be in London. You know, you'll see your friends. And, and actually, they were right. But it's, it's actually an amazing experience, this bird lady, because she actually has nothing much to do with the rest of the show. I mean, she just comes on, sings Feed the Birds uh, two, three times, and then leaves. And 
in fact, he has this amazing effect on on the show. And it's, it's a kind of spiritual moment. And so, yeah, I am missing that. But I don't go around the house singing birds, I promise you. <laughs> okay, uh, we'll take your word for it. Uh, Petula Clark, leave leave us with with some words. Are you you're, you're very forward looking. You're you're, you're uh, raring to get back on stage. I'm sure. Uh, what, do you, how do you think we're going to emerge from all this? Just just in terms of in terms of music, are, are people going to to flood back into the halls because they've missed it so much? Are, are musicians going to be re inspired, or are, are you going to be re inspired? Not that you needed it. I think it will be fine for me, but I'm rather concerned about, and so are the producers, you know, are, are people going to want to come back? Um, the, they put on a concert performance of Les Miserables in London uh, a couple of weeks ago, and of course they couldn't fill the theatre because you know you're not allowed to, but they sold out in a matter of minutes. Uh, people, I think, want to get back into whatever the theatre gives them, and uh, I, I just hope that <laughs> I just hope that it will happen sooner rather than later. But um, we're all on hold at the moment. We're all missing it. We're on a long hold. Uh, why do we? Why do we need music? Why do we need music? Why do? Why do humans need music? E- even our fellow citizens who uh, aren't passionate or aren't professional. Why, why does music even mean something to them? I, I, I can't answer that. You know, it, 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 it's all too close, too personal for me to answer that. Um, I guess music means different things to different people. Uh, you know, I don't, you know, when I'm on stage, for instance, I, I'm transmitting something. The audience is, is receiving, but I don't know what they're receiving. How can I know that, you know? I can only give any performer, you know, a concert artist, uh, um, gives what he or she can give, and, and how it's received is, is a mystery. I mean, are they, are they hearing the same thing as we are hearing? Uh, now, now we're getting into a complicated subject. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll leave the... the, the... Highly complex analysis for a, uh, a sociologist or, or someone in that field. In in the meantime, uh, we'll go listen to some great music. Uh, I may put you on uh, as soon as we hang up here. Uh, Patula Clark, I indeed thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. You've been listening to Talking Beats with Daniel Elchuk. The original theme music is by Ronald Barkham. The content coordinator is Nathaniel Mose, and Doug Christian is executive producer. We invite you to subscribe and leave a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can support us at patreon.com slash talkingbeats. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash talkingbeats. And be sure to check us out on social media. We'll see you next time on Talking Beats with Daniel Elchuk.